Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another fun episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. Um, we are brought, uh, we are with someone today who, are, you know, is the entrepreneur goddess. I think that's what she. We've we've been told in the last few minutes that someone dubbed her, uh, but we're we're happy to bring uh, Gina Tremarco, the Chief Results Officer at Pivot Ten Results. Uh, Gina, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited sure. to be here with you. Sure. And just a quick shout out to our two sponsors, Lead 411 and Gong. If you uh, have not heard of those two companies by now, I don't know where you've been, uh, but be sure you check out Lead 411 for the best lead and intent data, as well as direct dial phone numbers, and Gong for some of the most sales intelligence and coaching uh, tools and software out there. So, Gina, let's, let's start at the beginning. Chief Results Officer, what's... That, that's a new CRO title. I like it. I get it. How did that come about? That's a great question. Um, you know, I've been in business since 2007 and I started with a company called Carolina Improv Company and it still exists and it's our improv comedy theater and school in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And when I founded it, the intention always was to bring improv into the business world because my background is entertainment marketing and I knew that uh, an improv theater was not going to make me rich, uh, but I did, did see the value in it, um, you know, as, a, as an outlet for people, but also as a marketing arm for, for taking improv into corporate. What I ran into over the years, especially in the South, and I'm from Chicago originally, but in the South, people were really um, weirded out by the word improv. They were freaked out like, oh, we're not going to do comedy and we don't want to be funny at work and we don't see the, the value in that. And it took me some time to figure it out that people want results. They don't, they don't want the modality. They don't want to know how you're going to do it or how you're going to fix them or how you're going to help them. They want to know that you're going to de deliver results for them. So I was pretty intentional when I renamed the training side for business, the training side of our business. I rebranded that as Pivot 10 Results to make it a separate entity from Carolina Improv. Now, people could still find us through Carolina Improv. The fun people, the progressive people still come through us that way. But the people are like, eh, we're not sure if we want to have fun. Um, they came through the more professional looking side of us, which is the Pivot 10. And Pivot was also very intentional because Pivot is another word for shifting and moving really quickly in the moment. And the results piece was we deliver results and here's the way we do it. So, so that's where Chief Results Officer came from, was from the results in our company name. Well, we have two things in common. My mom's actually from Chicago, and then she she moved to Macon, Georgia. So I also grew up in the South and completely agree with you okay. about the sense of humor that um, is unique, uh, needless to say, although it's getting better. So. Well, you just have to figure it out. You know, it's about adapting. And I think that's the beauty of improv in general is adapting to an environment. And when I moved to South Carolina, the first thing I did was like find the most Southern people I could to take me under their wing and then teach me how to fit in to their world and their culture. And that's really what it's about is to meet people where they are. Um, Cause so many Northerners come down here and go, this is how we do it up North and Southerners do not want to hear that. Right. Right. 
which is interesting because we do talk about that in sales a lot about the sort of the regionalization of sales, right? You oh, know, yeah. if you're calling into the deep south, you need to be aware of that versus, you know, yeah. the west versus, you know, the northeast. So yeah. Um, yeah. just out of curiosity, you know, are you still doing the improv? Yes, um, it's been a really interesting year for us because I, I opened our theater and I started the business in 2008 and then I opened our theater in 2009 and then that little pesky uh, COVID thing happened and it shut us down for five months and um, I was that irritating person that kept calling the governor's office saying, we got three months to go, we got two months to go, we got one, like we can't keep going on and we had five months of reserves and um we didn't make it uh we had to move out because we ran out of money i always have a plan b and a plan c so i had partnered with another theater that i said you know when and if you reopen because it was really um, unstable whether or not theaters would any theaters would make it other theater invited us to join them once they got reopened and sure enough we weren't able to make it and we had to move out and lost our lease and four days after we moved out our governor said you can reopen i'm like well thank you for that uh so we ended up moving into someone else's theater like five days after we moved out of our theater not having performed in five months so we just started um we just started performing again in early August um, on a much shorter schedule than we ever had because it's not our theater, not our house, but we still have it and it's still going. Um, so that's great because it's it's just one side of what we do. And, and I will say the biggest thing that I've learned uh, is how much I missed being on stage and not just as a performer, but I've always used being on stage as an opportunity to really hone in my skills on engaging people and engaging an audience and reading people. And, you know, I, I, I took it for granted. I didn't realize how powerful that was until I got back on stage again. So, so that's been a really cool thing for me. Scott having a little trouble on the volume side. So, um, so where do you see improv coming into sales and training or, and it may not even be sales training, maybe it's just corporate training. How are you building that? We've talked to another gentleman, John Selig, who does a little bit of this. Um, I don't know if you know John, but... Um, I know his name. Yeah. Well, he does a lot of this, you know, in terms of how to write a appropriate joke um, to use in sales, right? But how do you see it and, and how do you teach it? I, th I think people would love to know that. Well, sure. For, for first, how I see it is improv is a skill that is innate improv is a skill that we're born with so every time someone says to me i can never get on stage and do what you do i say mm, yeah you can because we're born with this ability to be human and to me that's what he, improv really is the number one rule on our stage is to make other people look good not just the people you're performing with but your audience so for example, if someone on stage with me initiates an idea, my job is to support that idea, especially if they came up with an idea before I did. And if the audience makes a suggestion, my job is to honor that to the best that I can because when I don't, I make them look bad or I disappoint them same way with how I would disappoint someone on stage. So we have those skills, we're born with them to be, you know, to be a really good improviser, you have to be a really good listener, 
and a really good observer. You have to really be able to observe behavior, read cues, really hear what people are saying, find a way to connect with them, tap into your emotional intelligence and collaborate. That's how we do well on stage. So when it comes to business, it's no different. If you want to have a really good sales conversation or you want to be a really good leader, listening and shutting up, especially when you're, when you stop talking, people lean in physically, especially in the audience. When we have nothing, we call it having nothing. When an audience gives us a suggestion and we don't know what to do with it, the best thing to do is to be silent until we come up with something. And in that silence, the audience literally leans in because they want to make sure they haven't missed anything. So it's the fastest way to grab attention is by doing that. As far as how we teach it, I like to say we don't teach it. We, um, we don't teach people how to be funny. So people who show up and go, I'm so funny. I can't wait to take a class with you. And I go, please don't. We don't teach funny. Funny happens because funny you know, in comedy, there are two keys to comedy, repetition and contrast. Repetition to me is relatability. So when people see things that they relate to, they, they find it funny because it's like, oh, I know that. I've been there. I've experienced that. I can relate to that. When they see us fail on stage, like, oh, that's funny because I've failed or, oh, that's funny. I'm happy. I'm not the one doing the failing. So we don't really teach it. What we do is we, we help rewire the brain because the brain is set up to do this. We help rewire and, and exercise the brain. That's a muscle to be a better listener, to be a better observer, to really be in the moment and to be a really good collaborator. So at the end of the day, to be a really good human. So what we're doing is facilitating these exercises in a way that feels like you're in a safe environment um, we really encourage failure and we go beyond encouraging failure. I ask people to solicit failure because when you solicit failure, especially in a conversation, like think about in sales, we know we're going to have objections. Why not solicit those up front? Find out what those failures are. Find out where you're not, where you're not measuring up for that client or prospect so that you can find a solution. I say break it so you can fix it to be better. So my job is to take you on the journey to improve your brain skills. How much of that comes naturally versus can be, can be taught? Um, the, you mean the improbability in general? Yeah, yeah just um, like improbability. Like I think some, some people just naturally feel comfortable and, and, and can flow with some of that stuff and other people really struggle with it. So I'm wondering... Like if somebody is already pretty good at it, can you take them to be amazing at it? Or- absolutely, absolutely. I, I, think, I think it's natural for everybody. Again, I, I truly believe you're born with these skills. So just think about this as an example. Babies, if you've ever been around a baby, right? A baby who can't speak has a way to communicate with you. They watch you they observe you. They know who you are. They know if you're the mom or you're the dad. They know how to get what they want. They know how to tell you that they need their diaper changed. They know how to tell you that they're hungry. They observe. Their eyes light up. They're so, they're tapping into those, those 
innate skills that they have because they can't verbally speak to you. So we already have it. What happens is, as we adults, we lose it because we're not practicing it anymore. We're not paying attention because we're too caught up in, I need to do all the talking. I need to put my point across. I need to show you how amazing I am. I need to show you how smart I am. And so we get so focused on that when we could just kind of slow it down and be quiet with it. There are some people that are really good at it. So people say to me, oh, you're so good at it. Well, I do it every day. I practice it every day. I teach it every day. So the fact that I do it so much makes me that much better than the average person. And like I mentioned earlier, being back on stage again, I didn't realize how rusty I was and engaging an audience because I hadn't been practicing it, not just as a performer, you know, what, what's happened with COVID. I haven't, I typically am on the road two weeks a month training. I haven't been doing that. I've been doing everything virtually. We moved everything virtually, but I'm not using that part of my brain the way I used to. So we can definitely take you from, from one place to the next place. You could be good and we can make you great. You could be not so good and we make you good. And probably the big, biggest example of this are the people who sign up for our classes. Um, interestingly enough, most of our performers, I've got a cast of about 20 performers. Most of them come in as introverts and kind of scared and kind of uncomfortable, but pushing themselves. And they're probably the best performers because introverts are more mindful and thoughtful and there's a lot of stuff going through their heads and they're not quick to speak. So they're really good at being quiet and paying attention, which makes them amazing performers, both on so, stage and in business. So it's, it, I think a lot of people have lost the nonverbal communication cues and all that kind of stuff from not being face to face with people. Yeah, 100%. How are, how are we trying to compensate for that in our Zoom world? Like I can see, you know, your head, right? Like that, the, the headshot of everybody I can see. I can't see everything going on with somebody's body. Sometimes people turn their screen off. So then you're clearly getting none of that kind of feedback. Are there any tips or tricks to things to look out for? Um, that could help people pick up some of these uh, more subtle kind of cues that maybe they pick up naturally face-to-face that they're struggling yeah. with. Yeah, 100%. You know, and this was, this was a big learning lesson I had when I took all of our training online because I really struggled with making the shift, which is ironic because I'm supposed to be one of the most adaptable people as an improv person, but I couldn't wrap my head around how do I take improv to a virtual world and take those exercises, but I had to learn how to do it. And there's, there's, there's several kind of key things to think about in a virtual world. I think there's a lot more benefits in a virtual world because in sales conversations, we were often getting, getting on the phone and people weren't going to tap into video and they're not comfortable with it. We kind of don't have a choice anymore. So having the opportunity to be on video does create better connection because I can see your faces and I can see your, um, your reactions. You have to yeah. really get yourself. Say that again. In a lot of cases, we have more of this kind of feedback than we've ever had before from a sales rep kind of 
perspective. Yeah. So we can, we can really tap in. We have to practice it. This goes back to how do we teach it? It's like, it's, it's reminding our brains to pay attention. So while I'm talking to you right now, I'm looking directly at my camera so that you can feel my eyes making eye contact with you. But if I'm not talking, I'm then actually taking my eyes away from my camera to pay attention to what's going on, to see, to see your pray for, pray for surf hat. And I'm like dying to know what that means. Um, <laughs> right. So I'm looking in the background at everything going on, not just with your face, but your background and paying attention to that. We actually do improv exercises that focus in on paying attention visually. So there's one exercise that we do where um, I, I pair people up, you know, in one of our classes, because we have a variety of classes and I'll pair people up. So I might pair the two of you up and I'll say, okay, I want you to like check each other out right now and stare at each other. And you have to take a, um, a mental photograph of that person, you know, I give you a minute to do it. And then I tell you to turn your cameras off. And um, I ask you to make three very bold changes to your appearance or to your background. And then you can turn your cameras back on. And then you have to identify those three changes that you each made. I love, I love that. Every single time people don't hit it on, they don't nail it all. They really? don't, they don't nail it all. And I've even had people go, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to screenshot. I'm like, go for it. Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. Because when you can really tap into something, you can find a connection point of like, I'm dying to know, I'm dying to know what pray for surf means, right? That's a way to have a, to open a conversation that is non-defensive, that is not going to put you on a place of like, oh God, is she going to sell me something? I'm just trying to have a conversation with you and get to know you. And that's really the pr approach we take in sales training. So forcing people into exercising this concept and paying attention or giving them other exercises yeah. to do that's going to create engagement on Zoom, you know, putting some rules in place. Like I have rules in our classes. I'm like, I know you, I, I, I go, I know when you guys are on your phones, I'm watching you. I see your body language. You have your phone out of the picture, but I know that under the table, <laughs> I can see what you're doing just yeah. like in a meeting, right? So put your phones away because I know you're doing that. I'm going to call on you and you're not going to be paying attention and you're going to be startled. So setting those rules in place, requiring people to have their cameras on. Guess what? We're working from home, but it's still a professional environment. Easier said than done if you're making a sales call. You have to be more adaptable to what you're dealing with in that situation. Well, you can use a virtual uh, background, I suppose. Yeah, but I also think too that everybody's working from home and they're everybody gets it. Everybody knows there's something going on, right? So I don't, I don't think it's you know, look, if I'm if I'm trying to sell, you know, a 7 million dollar enterprise deal, right, between Visa and Delta Airlines, okay, maybe. But even then, I still think each of those people have families at home. They know, like they're all in the same boat, you know? Uh, yeah. And I, and I think, and I think, you know, calling the elephant in the room out, I think that yeah. that's a great way to create connection and common ground. Yep. Right. Like, like I have these two dogs that right now are behaving. 
Um, one is amazing. The other one's a rescue dog. She will she will bark in a heartbeat. Yep. If like the slightest noise is made. And so she becomes she becomes an issue, right? But that becomes a conversation piece. Right. Like, so, who else has a terror in their house right now creating exactly. creating a terror? Or you know, or, or kids that walk up into, you know, I've I've got classes where, you know, um same guy his his daughter wants his attention every single class right. and we're like, Oh, bring Olivia on screen, let's see Olivia. Right. right. And so she becomes part of the class and and that's cool so you just you find those connection points and um you know his eyes light up every time i mention his daughter's name because i remembered it yep so I'm, i want to pull us out of this conversation this is and this is fascinating but i'm curious you know if, if people go look at your profile tons of arts in your background right acting mm -hmm. directing managing all these kinds of things when did the sales bug kick in or was that always there? And then the arts kicked in. Like how did that occur for Gina? What was first the chicken or the egg? Yeah, so, totally. so uh, quick, quick history and time. Um, I went to school to be an accounting major and um, sucked at math and hated it. But I have always been in the arts my entire life since I was a kid. So I thought, well, I'll be an accounting major to appease my dad and I'll still stay artistically involved. So I started taking improv classes at Second City, like I'm from Chicago, and um, thought maybe I might get discovered by Lauren Michaels and make it to Saturday Night Live. That didn't happen because I was told I looked too ethnic um, to be on TV, which is hysterical to me in today's day. Um, okay. I'm Italian. All right. Uh, and then I, I, I discovered I liked making money and eating food and having a roof over my head. And I'm like, you know what? Starving actress is just not in my DNA. So I found a passion for the other side of the camera. So I ended up in, in television and film production for several years, which led me, you know, down a path of, PR and as a publicist and as a marketing director in entertainment. So then I ended up as a marketing and sales director in entertainment, ended up in the IMAX world, um, turning around theaters and making them profitable. And then I was forced to learn accounting, which that was an ironic in itself because I had to know how to read PLs and, and do projections for businesses. I'm like, maybe I should have taken those accounting classes. So it's interesting how my path went, but a lot of my path was based on those improv classes I took in college because they taught me that I could do anything because improv is about the possibilities of saying yes to ideas. And so that became the foundation of everything I did at a very young age. So the arts were always part of my life. Uh, and then I became a businesswoman and, and, and really have a business acumen that if you know the art side of me only, you're like, you know, when I first started Carolina Improv, people kept referring to me as the improv lady. And I'm like, I'm actually a smart business person. And um, there's really these two different things that people can't see the two together. I knew that the arts don't make a lot of money. I also knew that if I took improv into business, that's where the money was going to be. So I already had this bigger vision where the sales really kicked in. You know, my vision for the business was taking improv into organizations to improve culture and leadership. 
I, I became very well known for putting together teams and doing it really, really well. So I was good with creating human connection and improving in performance. What I quickly learned in the sales process is that leaders don't want to be told they have a leadership problem and that they have a culture problem. So I found it to be a really hard sale, especially in a market where everybody was a leadership consultant. I'm like, this is just not going to work. What happened through my improv classes at the theater was I started getting all these timeshare salespeople taking classes, just a regular six-week class that you can sign up for for anybody. And one by one, they started coming back to me saying, oh my gosh, I'm making so much more money because of improv. I'm like, what? Yeah, you have no idea. Like, this is what's happening. Like, I'm just going with it. I'm in the flow. I'm like, I'm listening more. I'm paying attention. I'm making so much more money. And so they became like the Pied Pipers. All of a sudden, all these timeshare salespeople started taking classes. And I'm like, aha, here's the niche improv for sales not leadership this is the focus so so i sh we shifted and our, our 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 positioning became improv for for sales training um to get us through the front door because everybody wants to generate revenue and make more money and i got um you know, I, I just got up to speed on every possible thing I needed to know about sales. The irony is through my entire career, everybody tried to recruit me to be a salesperson. And I kept saying, I'm not a salesperson. And then gotta, one day I woke up and I'm like, oh, I am a salesperson. I've got a, so I have, a, I have a, another question. You, you said that you were known as the improv lady. Uh -huh. How much of that do you think, whether intentional or unintentional, was some gender bias going on, right? Had oh. a man been the, would, it, would they call, oh, he's the improv dude? Like, would they have said that and assumed he doesn't know anything about business? Or do you think it was, where do you see that? You know, I do, I think there's definitely some gen gender bias to that, um, especially in the South. Because when I came from Chicago to South Carolina, um, I instantly noticed the, the bias, um, there were very few, you know, I was a general manager, you know, like being the CEO of a location. And I would have men say to me, like when I was opening a theater, an IMAX theater, and, and vendors would come in to, to bid for the business and, and they'd say, well, why don't you go talk to your boss and you let us know what he said. And I said, I am the boss. And you're not kidding the business. And so I was able to use that to my advantage. But a lot of them said to me that they weren't used to seeing women in charge. So I think that was a part of it. Did um, you find that w once you got over that hump, though, did you find it as an advantage? Did they sort of not push so hard? Or do you think they still tried to play you down? Um, I think... This is my opinion, and I could be wrong. I think once people got to know me, um, they either loved me or hated me. They knew that I was pretty tough for a woman. Um, my entire life and career, I've been um, 
you know, I'm very much like my dad who's no longer with us. So, you know, the running joke always was I was, I was the son my father was supposed to have. So I was raised by a really tough Italian who, um, may have been involved with things I can't legally talk about, but he taught me how to, you know, he made me work in a flea market at, at age 10, learning how to sell to people. Uh, that's probably where I got my best sales training was like working in a flea market at a very young age. So I think I'm a little tougher around the edges than most women, you know, a little more ballsy, so to, so to speak. So I think when they saw that I don't back down and I don't get pushed around, um, I think it, it scared them a little bit or they just, they just kind of stood up and said, she's not taking any of our BS. So we're just going to deal with her. Do you, do you think it still exists? How much do you think it's gotten better? And, and it could be generational and it can also still be uh, demographic or, or Southern. Um, I, it it know, definitely geographic. exists. It, it definitely exists, um, definitely geographically. Um, I will say as a woman in business, um, I am surprised. And because I like to study behavior, you know, I really am focused on it. I am surprised, frankly, how often I get propositioned in business. Like. Still. Oh, Yeah. Like, you know, like two weeks ago, like, like email, phone, zoom, all of the above, all of the above, all the things, yeah. all the things, all, all the, way, the, all the ways somebody could fuck up. There's yes, still 100%. Yeah. We just, we just interviewed a woman a couple of weeks ago who was just doing her job and cold calling. The guy just said, you know, I, I love it. You know, I'm, I'm happy to talk to someone who talks sexy to me. Right. And she ranted on it, called the CEO. The CEO said, thanks and hung up on her when, you know, and she, that gentleman is no longer, at least one of them is no longer employed. Um, so, but, but I do want to try and give some people, first of all, I'm sorry. Like it's shouldn't happen. And it's grotesque mm -hmm. to say the least. What advice can you give to other women particularly maybe some who are starting their careers, you know, you've, you've built a thicker skin over time, right? And it does not mean you should accept it or tolerate it. But we also know there's a lot of places where this is still happening and it's happening to obviously women younger. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, what, I, what like I'm an, I'm an old them? goat, you know, and I'm like, still getting it on. <laughs> I bet I'm older than you. So, <laughs> you know, we'll talk but, you know, um, it's interesting. My, um, my co-host and I on our show, um, on our podcast, The Women Your Mother Warned You About, we've talked about this. We talk about this a lot. And she's a, a beautiful, a beautiful blonde with a kick-ass body. She's preparing for a bikini contest right now. She just got new breasts. She's very happy about it. She's open. You know, our, 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 our podcast is pretty like open and raw. And we've talked about this, you know, for us at, at where we are at our age, you know, sometimes the attitude is she has said this, I have said this. She has literally said, all right, just, just take a look and get it over with. All right. You want to, yeah, my body's awesome. Okay. Take a look. You, you good now? Do you feel better? Can we now get back to business? Right. So, I mean, you could, you could be that ballsy in your approach 
right? I can be that ballsy in my approach and be like, yep, know you like my cleavage. It's pretty good. I agree. Works to my advantage sometimes. We good? Can we get this over with now? We're done. Can we get back to business? So it depends on where you are and, and your life walk and what you're comfortable with. You can also just say it to someone and stop them in their tracks and go, not comfortable with this conversation. When you're ready to be professional about this, we can talk. And I think you have to call it out. I think people, and I'm not just saying men, um, you know, sometimes I, I will perpetuate it because I'm interested to see what the behavior is going to be, right? If they start the process, I want to see how far they're going to go because I'm studying behavior. Uh, but you can, you can stop it. You can say not comfortable with this, but I think some people are going to push the envelope as far as they can to see if the fantasy is possible to fulfill their little world. And you have to call it out and stop it and say, not appropriate. That's great. I, I love the fact that, that you're encouraging people to take the stand because I think it's helpful and encouraging. And I know that there's always some unique situation where maybe easier said than done, but I hope, I hope a lot of people hear it. Um, I, I, think I, I also hope the men hear it to go, this isn't happening to you. So stop it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, I think the thing that gets me the most heated about this and, um, I, I was talking about this with my almost ex-husband and, um, we're amicable, but we're almost exes. And we, we got into a debate over the fact that this, I said, you know, this has happened, this has happened to just about every woman their entire life. He's like, I find that that's impossible. I'm like, how can you say that's impossible? Number one, you're not a woman. Number two, every woman I know has been through this in some way. He's like, that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It is, it exists. It has existed my entire life from the, from the time I was a teenager it exists and we need to point it out everything every time it shows up i think sometimes people are just ignorant i think sometimes um and again it's i love men so it's not about bashing men it's i, I think sometimes men are just not thinking and and they're like little boys and they're gonna try what they can try to get away with and until you like hit them upside the head verbally <laughs> and point it out to them, they don't get it. And maybe they're just ignorant to it or maybe they're scumbags. Well, I think that there's, there's been a lack of consequences for yeah. a very long time. 100%. And, and I think, I hope at least, it seems like a little bit that that's starting to change. You know, I mean, Richard was talking about a past guest of ours who had an experience and, and that person has lost their job now and you know this woman got messages that was like good for you way to call it out and other messages that was like how dare you you know take this person's job away from them whatever it's like no no no, no. she didn't take the job away <laughs> this son of a bitch took his own job away and and all that happened was some light got shed on on the situation and so i i think as a collective 
community, a like-minded community, whether it's women or men, I think starting to hold <clears throat> some of these folks and these remarks or these um, interactions like a lot more accountable and the consequences are the result of them. Hopefully that starts to, um, if not eradicate this, at least slow it down and curb it a little bit, right? Yeah, and there's got to be consequences. I don't think every organization is putting consequences in place and stressing right. that. And so I think consequences have got to be there. I, I think that's a big part of it. And and if those consequences don't exist, that's when you go. You know, I had I had I had a client come on to me, super strong, married. <laughs> telling me what he was hoping to do with me. And uh, I, I was like, Are, aren't you married? Yeah, and I have no intentions of changing that. And I'm thinking, okay, like I could really hang this out guy to dry right now. Like he, does he, does he not have a clue? that I can find his wife and I can talk to his boss and I could destroy his world right now. Are you that ignorant? So if the consequences don't exist in an organization, there are other consequences that a woman can put upon that man. This is really this is really good, and, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to have this conversation. Um, I know we're sort of we're starting to run out of time, and I feel like we're deep in a conversation. So I apologize to sort of That's like okay. rip us out of it. Um, but you know, you mentioned your podcast, so please you know mention it again where people can find you and, and hear a little bit more about your thoughts. And clearly, uh, you've got a great podcast, not only for women, but men should probably listen to it too. To to, to your point listen, observe, <laughs> right? All the yeah. things you talked about at the beginning of the show. Yeah. Women, your mother warned you about, um, pretty simple to find at women, your mother warned you about.com is a podcast that I share with um, my co-host, Rachel Pitts. And we also have a male um, co-host, Keith Walters, who's one of our partners. So it's a, it's a, it's a partnership entity between the three of us. And um, we have the male voice as a, as a counter voice. Um, but he also brings us interesting topics where we're like, you want us to talk about what? Uh, but it's interesting because uh, of having his male perspective on some things. We like to say we are, um, we love men. We want to be really clear about that. We are not, um, you know, extreme feminists, but we are, extremely vocal and opinionated we created the show so that we could just step in our value and, and step in our thoughts because we're both really strong women and we have found through the years that um sometimes people think of us as as bitchy or bitches or um we're not as popular because we we speak our minds and that scares people it scares women it scares men um but we're we're saying the things that women want to say but they don't say um and sometimes that's you know speaking up for men as well so 
we just, we, we put our ideas and our thoughts out there. We actually recently almost broke up over everything that was going on um, with George Floyd. And it was really about, I wanted to bring other women of color onto our show to talk about what they were going through. And that, and that led to like all kinds of crazy tensions and discussions. So, you know, we, we tap on things that might be a little controversial, but at the end of the day, the point of the show is about how we can help other women elevate and, and, and step up blending their careers with their personal lives because it all becomes a blend and you're trying to be the best possible woman as a mother and as a daughter and as, as a, as a wife, um, as well as be really good in business, whether you work for someone or own your own business and how do you make all of that happen and still stand in who you are. And then we have, you know, men who voice in on that as well. So um, that's the show. So it's, it's a, it's a blend of business and, and um, life, you know, everything from sales tips from Jeb Blunt to, you know, what happens when you get your period at work. So <laughs> that gives you, and that was Keith's idea. Right. I did not want to do that show. Um, so that's what our show is about. Um, you can also find everything about me at ginatramarco.com with everything that I'm doing. Thank you so much, Gina. And, and that sounds, that really does sound like a fascinating a great, show. Like, great name for a, for a show. <laughs> yes. And it's trademarked. We, we own that. So, any, any advice we can offer to you or support? I mean, obviously we want to support your podcast, but is there, you know, another cause you're also talking about or, you know, is there any advice you want to ask us? We're, we sort of want to turn it to you for a minute. Yeah, I would love to know your feedback or, or your view on, you know, when it comes to infusing improv and business, and you've heard a little bit about what that looks like, what, what advice would you have for a company like ours that's trying to go out there and show the value of what it is that we do that's a little bit different from others? Can I go first on this, Richard? Go for it. Yeah, I think people hear the word improv and they think comedy. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's part of the problem, right? And so I think trying to help educate that improv is more than comedy um, would be a big help. Um, all the different ways that we improvise. It's like I improvise every day trying to get a hold of somebody. I improvise with different ways I handle objections. So my, the way I handle an objection will be different with Richard where he's at and with you. Like I have been, you talked about being observant and curious earlier and right over your right shoulder is an Illinois license plate that says G Marie. Like I've been staring at that the whole time and I'm like, oh, Gina's middle name has got to be Marie. Like there's a whole story behind that kind of thing. So it doesn't always have to be funny, right? Um, and that, that part, I think, gets confused quite a bit. And I think there's some leaders who maybe get turned off by thinking like, well, you know, comedy and jokes, like that has no place here. Right. We're a real serious company. We sell really serious, cool software, right? So that would be my advice is like, try to speak to all the parts of a sales motion, for example, or a leadership function where you're utilizing improvisational skills that don't have anything to do with comedy. It just means being observant, yeah. thinking quicker on your feet and that type of stuff. What do you think, Richard? 
I agree. I, I think, you know, there's a challenge in, in, you know, improv is unique and it's different and it stands out from all the other sales trainers, right? Like that's a huge piece. It also forces unintentionally for you to become evangelical about why it's good. Right. And, and, uh, you know, so for me, I would, I don't know that I would change the name. I don't know how to tell you to change. I wouldn't change it, but is there, you know, you certainly have the most unique and creative ways to break through the noise. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's sort of like the subset of what you're really trying to do is you're trying to teach people to break down the walls or break through the noise, you know, for prospecting, it's how do I break, get through the noise to get more clients? Well, you got to get creative, right? Uh, we hear about personalization. So it's way more than just personalization anymore, right? There's got to be even very, you know, something very much better than that. Um, I don't think that was grammatically correct. So, um, but you know, we're surfing sales. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I think that that's, you know, I don't know the answer. Like I don't, you know, it feels so easy to say, oh, you should change it from improv, but, but you can't, that's also part of your unique value, right? Like that's, who you are. And so I'm, I don't know how to wrestle that piece, but I think it forces you to become defensive. It might force you to say, yeah, but, which is hard, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, our friend, John, who you said you, you, you've heard of John Seelig. I think he has the same challenge. Right. And, and I think when they hear pro comedy or improv, they're like, Oh, maybe that'll be good. Some good sales jokes for the sales kickoff. Right. 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 And so I, right. so I don't know if we're on target or if it's like confirming what you've already heard and believed or, or if it's anything new. No, it's it definitely, it definitely confirms, you know, and it's something that I've wrestled with for years, which is why we changed the company name to Pivot 10 Results with the focus on what are the results, not necessarily the modality. We don't always talk about improv. Uh, we talk about rehumanizing people. So, you know, we, I don't talk up the improv like I used to, unless people are asking for it. Um, the other stra strategic approach that we've taken is partnering with other sales training companies. And that's been extremely successful of, you know, this is my niche. This is my lane. Um, why don't you bring us in as an added value to your current offerings for your clients and it's an add-on because you they've already created the know, like, and trust. And then they can bring us in as like another piece of the pie. And, and that has been truly probably the most successful because once people see it and I downplay the comedy part of it, I'm not, you know, I really do downplay the comedy. Um, and that, that's been successful, but I'm always curious to hear what, what people think. But, but that's why we go by Pivot 10 results and no, we don't use Carolina Improv as our lead anymore. Right, right. Well, thank you so much, Gina. We really appreciate it. It's been tons of insightful stuff, tons of very tactical and, and thought-provoking conversations. So we really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah thank you. And, and again, just a quick shout out to our sponsors, Lead411 and Gong.io. Uh, please go check them out. We are uh, here because of them and, and with their help can bring on some amazing guests like Gina. So Gina, thank you so much. Thank you guys.